0: This is Duncan McPherson with Pareto Systems. Welcome to the Always On Podcast, where we are constantly providing insights to top fee-for-service professionals so they can continually work on themselves, personally and professionally, and work on their business. And to that end, I'm very excited in this 50th episode of Always On, to be joined with Chris Jepson, who heads up the practice management department at First Trust. He's a good friend, He's an exceptional pickleball player, and golfer, and ping pong player. <laughs> and uh, he co-authored the Advisor Playbook with me, and of course, the Blue Square Method. And in today's conversation, we talked about some timely and innovative best practices that financial professionals are adopting, but also some of the timeless, especially as they relate to your fee worthiness. So hopefully you like this conversation. And if you do, please share it with others. If you have any questions uh, or ideas about uh, themes in the future, please let us know. And uh, thanks once again for tuning in to the 50th episode of the Always On Podcast. Make it a great day. So a couple of years ago, obviously the world got disrupted and I couldn't get on airplanes. So I decided, well, to fill that gap, we do podcasts because we were still interacting and consulting with top fee service professionals. And most importantly, we were seeing how they adapted to that disruption and As you'd expect, our first guest on the Always On podcast was Chris Jepson, who is an absolute legend in the world of practice management and client acquisition in the financial services space. He uh, heads up the uh, advisory practices team at First Trust. He's been just an unwavering supporter of Pareto Systems. And here we are to episode 50 of Always On, so it made sense that we'd bring Chris back to talk about some of the timely and some of the timeless aspects of business development in the financial services space. So Chris, thanks for making some time. How are you doing?
1: I am, uh, first of all, humbled that I would be considered as the 50th guest. If the first one didn't go that great, let's just wait till the 50th and then bring them back. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're uh, excited to be here. It's it's always great. I mean, we could almost do a podcast every time we talk because it's yeah. just a us just sharing the experiences that we have. Oh, you got to hear this coaching call, or you wouldn't believe this yeah. conversation that I had. And it's it just reminds me of – and that's why the Advisor Playbook and Blue Square Method just kind of evolved out of all of these experiences that we just couldn't keep to ourselves we had to share with others and so i think we'll have a little bit more of that today on this podcast and as always i'm i'm thrilled to be here
0: yeah likewise and uh, you know it's funny one of the most common questions i get is what is the difference between the blue square method and the advisor playbook and i generally say it's about 7 years okay so we you and i worked on the advisor playbook and again, it was almost completely virtual. We'd talk on the phone just before flights or over the weekends and just sharing those stories. And uh, the advisor playbook was very well received, uh, came out in 2015. And then pretty much right away, we got to work on the blue square method and then just kept working on that. Uh, we were hoping to maybe let it uh, see the light of day in March of 2020, but we thought, eh, maybe we'll wait and see how this all plays out. and that gave us again another window into uh, how nimble the best in this business are and it probably added 30 pages to the book but again it continues Uh, i was saying to you just prior to going live here that i got introduced to an advisor by a key team member at first trust and we had this great conversation we were talking about scaling up we were talking about continuity and succession And uh, I said to him, I said, have you read the Blue Square Method? And he reached over and pulled out his copy and said, I've read it three times. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I mean, classic. The people who like it the most need it the least because this was an advisor at the pinnacle of achievement. But he just knows there's more there. But here's where it got interesting. As much of the consultation was emphasizing the qualitative not just the quantitative. The, so the meaningful and the measurable. And I, I'm curious, is that what you're seeing too, is that advisors are opening up panoramically about what they're trying to achieve?
1: There's no doubt. And just to touch on, it's funny, you know, those that want it, the most need it, the least. That I just had another one of those situations. I had, the, it's interesting, those that are also just hungry for ideas, uh, best practices, maybe something that they're missing, are always the top performers. And it's like, listen, you're the one I'm learning from. You don't need to learn anything from me. I need to know what you're doing. So I, I just love that that characteristic of of top teams. The the qualitative versus quantitative. We were just uh, in Naples at a first trust due diligence meeting just a couple of weeks back, maybe it's just a week ago. We were in a lot of places in the last couple of weeks, but we're I'm I am we are sitting and the beach in the background, you know, beautiful destination, the whole deal. And, and he said, can you meet before the meeting? And I said, sure. And we had a really interesting conversation. I'm having more and more of these. And I don't know if it's just because I'm older or or the sheer fact that, that 37% of advisors today manage 40% of the assets. Those 37% of advisors are all retiring in the next 10 years. So 40% of the assets that are managed today will have a key relationship manager retire in the next 10 years. And so I'm just running against and, and running into more and more of these folks that just kind of what's next is, is this what it's about? And this particular advisor had made the decision to retire, but before he did, he says, I want to focus on growing down and working with larger prospects. He said in the last three years, he brought in 300 million in assets. He goes, I don't know that I want to retire now, but I already told all the rest of the team that I was. But I've never been more successful at relating to these clients that are are well off and looking for that next phase in their life. And so I'm having more of those conversations of uh, we're doing this not because we have to do it anymore. It's actually dawning on people that they're doing it because they want to be doing it. We had that co- a conversation. It's a great book. Uh, I can't remember where I read it, but it was, they were talking about retirement and activity. And so when we play golf, uh, we see it as an activity, right? People retire. They want to do this activity. It's their passion. When they have time off, they golf. But if you were to ask Brooks Kepka. What do you do with your time off? Well, it's not golf. See, that's work. And it's just the mindset of they're both activities. One sees it as work. The other one sees it as an activity. These advisors are getting to the point that, you know what? It's actually not work. We thought it was work all the way up until the time we wanted to retire. Now we're realizing it's an activity that we enjoy, that we have a passion with helping others and being that that Sherpa that we often use as an analogy to guide people from the the precipice, right? From from the peak, now guiding them down, back down is where they're finding incredible fulfillment. And I am too, and I know you are, just having those conversations with them. So it's the next 10 years is a very exciting time for a lot of different reasons, but not the least of which, just the sheer amount of assets that'll be in motion.
0: Well, that stat is incredible. I don't think I've heard it structured that way, but that really makes you think about the significance, the scope of that. That is significant. Uh, I want to back up for a second because, and I'm sure you've got me beat on this, but uh, now that I'm rolling again, I think I've been in 68 cities in the last 17 months. (laughs) And some of my best consultations, have been on the way to or from the airport or waiting because of a delayed flight where you just call an audible and, and bring somebody on the phone and you're like, I've got an extra two hours here. Let's talk. And it is incredible. You're right. I mean, the two-way street involved there because I get as much out of those conversations as they do because they let me put my finger on the pulse, what they're thinking, what they're doing. and you're right. They're, their magnets are so powerful right now because they've shifted from the job to the calling. They're so attractive. This advisor I was speaking to last week, he's going through a very methodical continuity and succession plan with his team. And his, his he's already seeing the impact that he addressing his own continuity and succession plan makes him more relevant to clients who've been kicking that can down the road themselves. Like he can lean on them respectfully and say, look, this is what I'm doing. And and clients are responding. But what's interesting is the rejuvenation that comes out of that exercise, whether they're scaling up or growing down or continuity and succession, is they're getting very, focus on their own strategic plan, and one advisor we were we were going into this, and uh, he pulled out his mind map. And I don't know if you've been involved in this, but uh, I love the concept of mind mapping—just getting it out of your head and just letting it free form and come together. But what's amazing is at the core of every mind map I've seen is a very profound why, and the why is way less about income and way more emphasizing the outcome. Who am I? Who do I want to become? And then and then just reverse engineering out of that and populating on the mind map all the things that will contribute to that outcome and that why. And uh, so that's what I'd like to talk about now, and I, I I'm curious about your thoughts on that.
1: Well, I was just thinking about Tom Brady and and Michael Jordan is how different their games were from when they entered the league, right? Versus the way that they are at at the end of their careers. They're such better players and it looks so much more effortless. They just understood the game. They understood every different role that each person was playing. But I think also that their mindset was at a place where they were, kind of at peace with who they were and not trying to prove anything. And it just describes every multi-million dollar producer that's approaching what most would say, hey, it's time to be thinking about the next phase. They're like, what do you mean next phase? I'm in a groove. Right? I've I've got this, I'm incredibly value add right now for each one of these relationships. So I just think about those, those advisors right, that are approaching that that stage of just enlightened as to w- the why right there they have an answer to what that is and it took all those years to get there and that's why you see man it took three years to bring in 20 million in assets now they do it monthly and that- what changed it wasn't it wasn't that the money wasn't always there they changed
0: well what's fascinating about what you said about being at peace and this probably applies to every field of endeavor is as you shift from knowledge to wisdom and that experiential learning athletes especially talk about how things seem to slow down around them and they don't press they don't force it they let things come together they don't overreact and uh their outcomes are they they do seem more effortless Now on the premise of mind mapping, just so everybody has some context, what a mind map looks like is it's the the bullseye, the blue square, if you will, is the why, that's what we're trying to accomplish. And then around it is the what, okay? So what are we actually trying to accomplish, you know, maybe uh, measurably, you know, the who, who's on our bench, who's our ideal client, who are we gonna expand our strategic partnerships with, when or timelines, and then, of course, how, what, what's the fuel, uh, marketing, business development, and, and things like that. But just getting it out of your head and just letting it form and come together and and not having a sort of a timeline to it. It, it could be a month or two for this to come together. Some some have said that they've been working on their, their mind map and sitting on their desk for a couple of years, and it's kind of a, an element of when the student is ready the teacher will appear. So it's a great exercise. It lines up with what we talk about in the blue square method around W5, that exercise of goal setting. But now Chris, I wanna, I wanna make a connection here because you know, we started working on the blue square method in 2015. We got into this concept of Kaizen and the Ikigai. Uh, you brought to my attention the whole concept of Kintsugi which is um, quite incredible. In fact, I don't know if you've heard, there's a book, I was just given it by a client called Life is Messy. And Mm -hmm. there's an emphasis on the kintsugi, which is that art of repairing broken pottery with uh, a formulation of gold dust. And the finished product is better than the original. It's more attractive, it's more compelling, it's more valuable, which says a lot about people who work on their business. But All of this has led us to The Blue Zone, which uh, is this uh, series on Netflix that's talking about longevity. So back to your point about people that are starting to think about the bigger picture, starting to think about things that are really important to them qualitatively. The Blue Zone, coincidentally, the first episode was set in Okinawa. And it centers around the ikigai, which is our reason for being. So uh, I guess my question, Chris, is, ha- have your conversations with advisors really gone deeper into their reason for being the calling, the sense of purpose, uh, what's important, you know, that sort of thing?
1: I do and I don't I don't know if it was because so much that it was and, and it could be I, I we could probably guess all day on on the reason why it's happening i do think COVID had a lot to do with that just that whole rethinking what life is about and where the meaning is ikigai is just that fantastic word to capture our reason for existing the the other thing that i love about in these blue zone areas is that even the word retirement there's not a direct translation in japanese that they, they don't they, they're confused at the concept that you would choose to no longer pursue what it is that brings meaning to your life. Like, why would we not do that till the day we die, right? And to just clarify on the blue zones, you know, in the United States, the average life expectancy is 77 years, right? The blue zone is where the life expectancy is 100. And that's a significant difference. And there's a lot where people point to diet, but I think there's a, there's a lot more to the fact that they have found discovered and are rewarded by identifying where they contribute and where they bring value. And so, yes, I'm seeing, we're having more of those conversations just as the average age of the advisor, you know, talk about the age, average age of the advisor, you don't that, uh, only six percent of CFPs are under the age of thirty. I mean, that there's not a whole lot coming up that younger generation to take in. And I, I think that there's also a a responsibility, I think, that a number of advisors are feeling like I want to make sure that these clients are taken care of as for as much as I would love to to do that extra vacation, there's more meaning. And providing for that second and third generation. So absolutely is the answer.
0: It's interesting. Uh, the last chapter in the Blue Square Method called The Torch talks about the mentor protege dynamic and many very effective enlightened people had a mentor and which meant they had to be a protege. They had to be uh, shapeable and and, have humility to to accept that input. But they often make the best mentors, those protégés. And more and more advisors are talking about how, you know, one last week was talking about how he volunteers to teach entrepreneurship at a college. And he talks about uh, how, you know, there's a lot of things I could not learn in a simulator. I had to get out there and burn my finger on the stove and make mistakes to develop that situational awareness and he says the students are just dumbfounded that he would put as much emphasis on experiential as formal education because i think a lot of them have been told that you know focus on 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 your formal education so that's a very interesting dynamic you know you talk about longevity in the centenarians i mean there's a qualitative and quantitative driver to that. If somebody is going to live to be 100, they better have their money <laughs> you know, <laughs> in order because they don't want to outlive that. But then, of course, what's going to give them meaning? And, and it's not just good genetics and good health and good diet. There's got to be that sense of purpose that's in place. And here's what's interesting to me. More and more financial professionals in the last couple of years have really, more of them have opened up to me and bared their soul to me about what keeps them up at night and what their clients are opening up and telling them about what keeps them up at night. And what keeps them up at night is rarely will I have enough. It's more about grief that they're coping with, anxiety,
1: uncertainty. And the illness of a loved one. I mean, I, I'm hearing more and more of that. Just how do I relate with that client? And, and it's going to happen, what would you know? A third of every single client over their lifetime will be touched by cancer. You got by the age of 55, half of people will have a chronic Illness, they'll have to deal with half. And so you are, you play a, an integral role in that. And I was recently talking to somebody who, who had said that they had gone through this event with uh, one of their parents and they were finding themselves spending more and more time trying to take care of that particular parent. And they were asked, Has your advisor reached out to you? And they said, No. My accountant did. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, did personalization get replaced by the accountant? I mean, that really uh, says a lot. So what type of conversation, what does that family phone call script consist Mm -hmm. of? Giving people the direction and dialogue so that it doesn't come off as trying to dig into someone's personal life that isn't relevant to their financial, being able to draw that bridge so that they understand where the questions are coming from and that the questions are sincere and come from a a place of concern. And that is and what creates that bond with the client that goes way beyond, way beyond. In fact, an interesting, interesting thing happened. I was having this conversation with my wife and my advisor's name is Mike. And I asked her, I'm like, honey, if something were to happen to me, and she talks to Mike maybe once a year, not a whole lot. Right. But I said, Hey, if something were to happen to me, what, what are the, what's the probability that you would leave the MPM group Mike and go to another financial advisor? She goes zero. And the reason I asked her that is the conference I was speaking at, someone was speaking to kind of females at investing and how 80% of them leave the primary wow. advisor after a, a death or a divorce. And I was like, wow, that's a high percentage. So I just thought I'd reach out and ask her that. And she's like, zero? Well, what What have our advisors figured out is that that touch, right? That meaningful personalization, those sincere questions those phone calls of discovery, right? She, that's what drove that relationship. That's, what built, that's what's building that bond. I just love that she said that, she was that comfortable with them.
0: To position yourself as a subject matter expert while efficiently creating professional contrast in the eyes of your prospective clients, strategic partners, and ideal clients, Deploy a podcasting initiative using the turnkey process developed by Proudmouth. Learn more at proudmouth.com. The best place to strengthen a client relationship is in the very place where you manage that relationship. Bluesquaretoolkit.com has a harnessed, the best practices of Pareto systems and brought them to life in our easy to use system that is accessible on both your phone and your desktop. Simple technology to uncomplicate your life by creating clarity, accountability, and consistency for your entire team. Build stronger client relationships by tracking and archiving essential information on what matters in your client's life and make yourself indispensable and more referable in the process. Create a more consistent client experience and grow your business with the Blue Square Toolkit. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14 day free trial today. I didn't. I've never heard that quote or that stat of 80%. And it's interesting. I was just in Atlanta speaking at a conference with First Trust and Jackie Wilkie was there. And as you know, I mean, she's got some great actionable insights. Uh, she was talking to me about the family phone call and the Ask Me Anything session and just positioning everything as a service and a value added that's proactive, not not waiting to react to an a need that develops but just getting out in front of evolving needs and uncovering unmet needs by being proactive it was a very very good presentation that she did but you know it's interesting not long ago an advisor we had a consultation and i could tell he was carrying a heavy load cuz he was there's long pauses and not a lot of enthusiasm in his in his voice i just said like what's up and, uh, you know, pause, you could hear him swallow. And he just said, uh, I just had a client tell me something that was absolutely horrible. And he explained what was going on. And um, it was completely lost on him. So, so he, he, he tried to listen and, and respond, but he found himself lacking for how to respond. And, you know, I think I think his, I think the scope of the information was significant, but his inability to respond really bothered him too. And I said, you need to know something. This is going to keep happening. As you get older, as your clients get older, and I said, First of all, it says they trust you, that they would tell you that and to that degree. Okay, and, and fair enough, this actually adds to your fee worthiness. This actually makes you indispensable to your point about, you know, your wife and your advisor. But I would ask you to study this, study the psychology of what it means to have a bedside manner and, and develop. A process so you're not grasping you're not reaching and you don't find yourself inadequate in how to respond when clients start to tell you what's keeping them up at night and what's causing them grief and um, it, it's going to add impact to your business and your sense of purpose and having so- that
1: process having that process too Duncan if, if folks probably this week uh, it's the week of Halloween, the Wall Street Journal this weekend had an interesting piece and they were talking about AI and empathy and will AI replace the financial advisor? And one of the things that they said that AI actually does better is empathy. Is that unbelievable? That AI would score higher on empathy and they use this with doctors and physicians, right? And using AI uh, virtual follow-up and it scored higher than the actual doctor did on empathy. And if that's the case, then it must be what does AI have that the person that is trying to be empathetic with the client doesn't have scripts. They, 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 know the tools, they have the processes to follow and, and how to uncover and how to communicate uh, that caring instead of trying to wing it. And so if, if, someone were to put just a little bit of effort in knowing what are the questions to ask, how to ask them in ways and, and in what kind of context and what kind of forum that it should be asked in, all of those things are not left to chance. And it was just interesting to me that AI scored higher on empathy than a human did. Empathy, that's, we should own that, but we don't.
0: Wow, I—you I, know that's counterintuitive. But totally. it's probably because a lot of people have trivialized the bedside manner. I remember you telling me way back when, and this went into the blue square method, uh, that analogy you use about going to a doctor's office and how you can tell that they start thinking about you the moment they walk in the door and pull the clipboard off the back of the door. And they you can see them getting caught up to their familiarity with your situation in real time in front of you. Instead of it outside the door, and then they stop thinking about you the moment they put the clipboard back and walk out the door and move on to their next interaction. So, to your point, I mean, just just thinking it through and and making it a study. You know, I, I did a podcast a while back with uh, Betsy Gueda, who wrote the book uh, from Hurt to Hope. Very very thoughtful lady, and um, just just going through that book gives you some insights on having a mindset that enables you to have empathy because i mean obviously empathy is something that is innate but to be able to structure it in a way and formulate it in a way where you can have an interaction with somebody and activate resonance because the law of resonance says the value of your conversation begins when they hang up the phone Uh, or when they leave your office, and what are they thinking about an hour later, a day later, a week later? So, Chris, you know, it's interesting. In that conversation, I just shared my own personal frame that I use in my own life when I'm dealing with some adversity or in a conversation with somebody who trusts me and confides in me and uh, I, I'd like to think it kickstarted him on a journey to really focus on on this this gap that he had. But my own framework is just three words: faith, gratitude, effort. And you know what I said to him about faith was, you know, what is faith like? What is it? And you know. The the distinction between hope and trust. Like I, I hope it's going to get better. I, I'm optimistic. I believe it's going to get better, but I trust that it will get better because I have faith. Um that that led to a very, very interesting conversation. And I'm I'm curious if you have any comments on that.
1: Last night. You've probably seen Lay Right. So. Oh yeah. Oh see, my gosh, it, that's one of my favorite books of all times. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! And uh, do you know in that that one song, it's like in the service of others is where you see the face of God, right? And I think I I witness that with that enlightened advisor that they find that meaning that there's there's a deeper meaning in serving others. You, you forget yourself in service and you find meaning in giving back you talk about the mentorship I see it as as the work that we do is is in the service of, of helping others and and that is to me and just personally my own faith it's everything right faith is the the reason for for being right. I mean, that's, everything is built on that. It's that, uh, building on a rock or, or sand, I think build on a, a solid core of a faith, whatever your belief is and whatever that higher power is knowing that it's more than just, just you, you know, so many times too, there's a difference, you know, feeling like that we're indispensable. I don't, I, we might've put this, I think we put this in the blue square method, but that, That quote about feeling that you're an indispensable advisor was that that poem. If you'll indulge me, my dad shared this with me when I was younger, when I was a kid, and uh, when I was getting a little cocky. I don't remember what it was. This is, he had me memorize this poem. He said, Take a bucket and fill it with water. He said, Put your hand in up to the wrist. Now take it out, and the hole that's remaining is a measure of how much you'll be missed. He said, you can splash all you please when you enter. You can stir up the water galore, but stop, wait just a moment. Isn't it quite the same as before? And the moral of this quaint example is, do the best that you can and and be a little wiser, but remember, there's no indispensable advisor. So how many people do you know in your own family tree from three generations ago. Three generations back, can you name someone's name? Mm -hmm. Of anybody, three generations back. And so will our name be remembered three generations from now? Probability say no, it won't. And so leave as much of an impact on helping others that you can. And maybe one of theirs will be, I guess, but don't get too caught up in thinking that, that what we do is, is indispensable, but your caring for others can be.
0: The poem definitely made it in the book. And as well as that, my my favorite quote by C.S. Lewis is, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. And if the soul is eternal, which I believe then you're right. I mean, our our purpose is, our reason for being is to get closer, as close as we can while we're here, which incidentally, in my view, is a perfect segue from faith to gratitude. Because I said to that advisor, as we got into this, because he was really receptive. I think, you know, again, he was receptive because it was so fresh. And he realized, okay, you know what? I, I have to be responsive here, but we got into gratitude. And I just said, you know, tell me about your blessings. Tell me about your wins. Tell me about the things that have happened in your life that just stopped you in your tracks. You could feel the uh, the the energy change. And he went through this list and he said things like, I'm I'm making more money than I ever thought. But then he went into some of the qualitative stuff. Very, very interesting. And just that whole uh, dynamic between God's will and free will, and just, again, the humility and taking nothing for granted and appreciating what we have as we aspire to what we want, what we want to attract and what we want to overcome and what we want to achieve. So. Faith, gratitude, and then uh, effort. You know, and I said to him, I said, when when David raised his hand and said, I'll take him on. I'll I'll fight Goliath. I'm sure as he's walking up, he's praying his heart out. But then he realized, I still got to throw the rock. I have to throw the rock. I have to take action. I've got to do it. So then we had this incredible conversation about what matters and what can you control, what efforts can you take, especially in the spirit of being a serious student around things that you are now ready to work on. So, so faith, gratitude, effort. That's my own personal frame, and it landed with him, and I, I'm really I'm looking forward to Sharing that with others, and, and again to your point about demography, I mean it's inevitable. Nothing stops this. People are going to open up more to the people they trust to help have a sense of belonging and and belief that I'm in a safe harbor. I'm in a good. I'm in good hands, and it adds, if nothing else, to your fee worthiness and your sense of purpose.
1: I, uh, that I think just captured it perfectly. I think that that's a great set of rules to, to live by. You can't sit back and hope that it happens, but you got to recognize that there's a lot of other people, you know, that played a role in, in you getting there, right? That's uh, that confusion that you and I talk about a lot with our kids. We, one of the books, I don't know, did you, did you ever have that author on that wrote uh, Mania? Oh yeah. Did you get him
0: on the podcast? Okay. So, so since you told me about that, Mania by Richard Watts, I think at every single presentation, I've said to a financial advisor, essential reading, non-optional. You have to get inside the head of first-generation self-made affluence well in advance of that money going into the motion and making somebody suddenly affluent, the second generation. And so, yeah, I did have him on. It was a great podcast. He's a very thoughtful guy. But I, I will tell anybody who will listen that that and a few other books and many of them are listed in the Blue Square Method. Actually, in the back, it's been absolutely profound.
1: I just love that. The one thing that I remember, you know, so often we remember books, and it really boils down to you'll you'll remember a story. I mean, it's three hundred pages, and you're like, oh, it's a great book, but you remember a sentence, right? I mean, you've read so many books. If I was to pull any of your favorite books, it's like you think about a couple sentences is all you really retain, and while I know I loved the whole book, I will just never forget that sentence that says, in our effort to give our children what we didn't have, we failed to give them what we did have. And those were the hard times that made all the difference, the difficulties, right? And so kind of getting into that mind of that first generation, and then also that second generation, their interpretation of that wealth, it's such a great book, because it's real. It's just case examples, case life examples. So I was thinking that on the effort side too, is just, you know, don't, don't fail to give them an opportunity to demonstrate their own effort and accomplishment because you don't want to steal that, that
0: away. Well, interesting about that, a book that had a profound impact on me in terms of how it made me feel. So back to your, you were talking about the Sherpa, and and I love telling people that the first person to have his picture taken on Mount Everest was Tenzing Norgay, right? The Sherpa for Sir Evan Hillary. And that whole metaphor about the Sherpa and getting to the summit, but that's not the goal, that's a goal. Getting The goal is to get back down and survive the whole ordeal. But what's amazing is, as much as I love the Tenzing Norgay story, the book that actually hit me harder... Was written by his son, Jamling Norgay, talking about his dad, and and galvanizing his dad's legacy and hearing it through the the lens of of a uh, the son of of arguably a guy whose name will be talked about for hundreds of years. But that one got me more, and like you're, I'm a little older, sentimental, so so. That's essential reading, too, is reading Jamling Norgay's book, uh, the, his tribute to his dad, uh, Tenzing. So, Chris, I, I want to pivot here. I want to talk for a moment about uh, innovation. So you were talking about AI. We have many advisors who, as part of their strategy and tactical meetings, uh, especially virtually on Zoom, will add on the bolt-on called Read AI, uh, which will capture the strategy and tactical meeting, and then provide a very well crafted output. And I'm not sure, you know, who up in Skynet is putting this together, but it's pretty impressive. So, so we we would have advisors who would take an hour to, taking the talk to text or their notes to formulate uh, a summary of a strategy and tactical meeting for the twenty percent. And clients would respond to it. Like, here's what we talked about framed in form. Clients, they'd always respond to the email follow-up. Thank you very much. Love the meeting. Loved hearing about your new dog and all of that. But now it takes them 15 minutes with Read AI and that bolt-on. And all they have to do is vet it, polish it. Maybe if it triggers them to add in some other color. Great reaction. So they have the gift of 45 minutes. But arguably an elevated experience. And and we've talked about this before too, is finding that sweet spot between high tech and high touch. Technology is designed to liberate a financial professional to go deeper into what's proprietary. That's the relationship. That's the practice. Those are the client experiences that are created. So I'd love to hear uh, any thoughts that you have on that. And I also want to talk about testimonials too. Don't let me forget, but
1: thoughts on innovation this is changing so fast. By the time some even watch this, it could be totally different. But just on that one tool alone, if you're doing three a day, five, you know, five days a week, you're looking at 15 hours added back into your life. It's it's unbelievable. That's one tool. The other thing on the on the AI front, I was on a it was a VC driven calls really early stages on a company that is I don't even know what I'm allowed to talk about on that because I think I had to sign an NDA. I'll just tell you this. What's coming down the pipe on the area of planning and portfolio allocation, discovery, gaps, risk tolerances and the like. Wills, estates, modernizing and updating those in in real time. I mean, it's unbelievable. And this is just scanning it in, pressing a button and it's all done. What we have charged for historically is for that, for planning. And we've given advice away for free. I believe this this flips over the next 18 months. I believe we will watch it right in front of our eyes that people will say, oh, I can get all that. But that's not what I'm paying for. You see, the AI is as good as the prompt that it's given. and And those super prompts now are 5,000 words long, some of them. Uh, One advisor said to me, what our team does is we provide answers to the questions our clients didn't know they should be asking. If you don't know the question to ask, the output is irrelevant. And so the advice side of things will continue to become stronger and stronger, I believe. And we will be (coughs) paid for that side of things as well. But I do want to get to the testimonial side because that has changed a ton and not enough people have embraced that for sure
0: well and we don't need to get into the weeds on that because we've done other stuff uh i've had other interviews and webinars on the nuts and bolts of of having that sec ruling from a year ago so november of 22 those early adopters now that have had a year i mean everybody says game changer pretty loosely this is the proverbial game changer and what it's led for me is is the validation for somebody to understand what it means when when like we're often touting that it's not what you say it's what they hear okay so what does that really mean it means always speak as if it's through the lens of the client let people understand what your clients are saying so why not let your clients tell your story And here's what's interesting, again, a little bit of a progression is the framework I use is perception, perspective, proportion. So perception. Okay, so when advisors engage in marketing and branding, they talk about a value proposition, how to articulate value, so they're perceived with professional contrast. But but they often talk in terms of what they do. And we're saying, no, 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 talk in terms of what your clients want and how you get them there. That's the perspective. Give them the perspective of your clients. The example there, and I, I can't remember if I've even told you this, but, uh, I, I, you know, advisors who have clients that are hitting their milestones, liquidity events, they're retiring uh, many advisors, and we talk about this in the advisor playbook, are hosting retirement parties for their clients. And one advisor who we, I had this conversation with, perception, perspective, proportion, uh, he was at a retirement party, probably 50 people in the room, close family members, business associates, uh, allies, and the advisor was invited. And uh, the client, significant, grabs the microphone. And, you know, so he's got a a huddle, and he's he's talking about how grateful he is, and he's very humble and understated. And then he points to the financial advisor and says, none of this happens without him. (laughs) And the advisor's like, what? And everybody, he could feel it. Everybody looks at him. And he had been pumping hands throughout, you know, the, the time leading up to that moment. He didn't have to say a word. And I said, the proportion of your value, did it validate for you how meaningful your value is? And what kind of impact do you think that had on everybody in his inner circle in that room? So that's something we're spending a lot of time on, is is less on how you're perceived, more on the perspective of the client, and then the proportion of how that makes someone feel, them, you, your team. I was just in Boston with a phenomenal team, very big fans and friends of First Trust, and they are poster boys for professional contrast, professional scarcity, and they they are doing exceptionally well. And uh, they've embraced this concept of relevance and impact to clients and and being uh, creating a community with their clients and uh it's fun they'll they say it's incredibly fun it's rejuvenating and clients rave about it so um yeah
1: you know i was just so thinking let- on the perspective side that goes to that one value question that we talk about Uh, It could have been the advisor playbook where we were on your strategy and tactical. I mean, you would ask the value question. I'm curious, what does our team do that you have found of most value? Thinking about the answers to that question over the years, it's all perspective. It's all about how you helped me get what it is that, that I wanted. And very, very little about their marketing and branding that they tried, you know, to push on the people, it's, it's interesting that that perspective is the answer to the question of their perceived value, right?
0: Well, it's, it's interesting because I I know a financial advisor who we went through that. He, he did the next 90 days. He made his clients, the voice, he went into it reluctantly and it, it blew his mind. So that campaign is in the advisor playbook. You can also get that from First Trust from your uh, wholesaler. But then it went into him talking as if there was another client in the room representing the advisor's value. That was his mindset. And so he would start a meeting with a prospective client and... Now he says, you know, right up front before we get into this, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. I've got an agenda here and some questions I want to ask you, and I'm sure you've got some questions for me. But before I start, I just want to tell you what makes us different. And this stems from a question I've been asked many times over the years. And I've asked my clients what it is that makes us different, and this is what they tell us. It's our people, our practice, and our process. And then he goes into it. He talks about his people and and how much they care and love what they do. And they're really good at it. And then he talks about, you know, we work with business owners and professionals. They're very demanding around consistency. So we've adopted best practices. Then he talks about his process. Now we've developed and refined a process, puts all the pieces together. So, so that's what our clients tell us that make us different. And I'm, I'm curious if you have any questions or comments on that before we get into the formal part of the meeting. He says, absolute game changer in terms that's of great. just, just attracting, not chasing. But he said that little thing about saying this is what our clients tell us. Yeah. It resonates.
1: Well, that's the reason, whole reason why you look at any company that just explodes. It's, it's that one little Facebook group of, of, uh, of moms that make a comment and it just explodes. It's the one it's, testimonials are what make that company what they are. It's what makes any comment on Twitter, what it is. It is huge. It's there's white papers galore that describe why, but just knowing that it's that powerful and it is thrown out there a lot that there's, Hey, this is new. This could impact. This really is one that is leaving people behind if they haven't embraced it.
0: Well, it's funny when I travel with my wife anywhere in the world, She'll look at the reviews of the hotels we'll be staying at, and her, her mindset is, I want to find the worst review. I want to see, you know, is this just sort of loaded with rough? or is there is this real? So, she'll scroll down and try to find the worst, because she wants the full spectrum, okay? So, yeah, I'm sure everyone loves it, but I want to hear... And she goes, if I can accept what this person's complaining about, then my expectations are set. That's just her mindset. But the whole premise is, you know, it's like when you order up an Uber and you see anything less than five stars, you're like jarred. You're like, well, no way. I'll I'll find somebody else. Reviews. But here's what it reminds me of, Chris, is right back to Maslow's hierarchy. At the core of human needs is belonging, a sense of belonging. And I think a financial professional – just needs to remember the proportion of how significant it is, how noble this calling is, especially you've got second, third, fourth generation clients. I talked to a team last week, fourth generation clients up and down the family tree. And I said, just remember how unique and how significant that is as it relates to belonging. Am I going to be okay? Am I in good hands? Is this a safe harbor? Will you liberate me to go live my life and be the best version of myself? That's what a financial advisor's value creates. And so I hope a lot of what we've talked about here today just are gentle reminders around the significance of your value. And I'll let you have the last word. If anybody wants a copy of the Blue Square Method, uh, just reach out to your first trust wholesaler and they'll send you a link to the digital copy um you can read a chapter on the bluesquaremethod.com to get a sense for you know the tone and some of the nuances and actions that we get into but uh chris any closing comments
1: i would just tell you it's it's november here right around the corner and uh and a lot will be spoken to around thanksgiving and just a heart of gratitude and so i would i would conclude with just a heart filled with gratitude for our friendship, Duncan, for our partnership with Pareto Systems, the incredible group that's behind the scenes at Pareto that just tirelessly gives to try to bring value to the advisor, it means a lot. And it's just in concert with what we at First Trust really feel and believe. And so a special thank you to to you guys and, and a heartfelt gratitude to every advisor that is consciously trying to improve and continue to bring additional value to their clients. Uh, I wanna recognize everybody that does that and thank you personally for your clients if they don't, but from our firms as well. So happy Thanksgiving and thank you, Duncan, for having me on.
0: Well, very gracious, but I, I can't leave it at that because I just have to just state from my heart how much appreciation I have for our relationship and uh, our professional relationship with First Trust, because I've been around this block for a long time, and I've interacted with some of the most respected firms in the industry, and uh, it's not even close how First Trust is the biggest advocate for the financial professional on planet Earth. And you know what, Chris? When I travel and I meet with advisors, to hear them tell me how much they appreciate uh, their relationship with First Trust and how unique your firm is. You don't spend a dime trying to convince a client or trying to convince an advisor to do business in the form of advertising. There's no naming rights on stadiums. There's no ads in magazines or online. Every investment of effort just goes to strengthen the relationship with the financial professional and that energy and and goodwill is strengthening. And I think it will continue to. So right back at you. Thank you, we appreciate it. And we appreciate that you appreciate it. And I guess we'll shoot for what, episode 75?
1: Let's do it, man. Appreciate you. Okay,
0: all right. You take it easy and uh, we'll see you soon.
2: Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more.